2: Yeah, we had to get that out of our system right away. So let me say a word about this show. First of all, when I when I make clear what the show is about, you are not allowed to immediately turn off your radio. I mean that should be sort of a, a covenant among us for all of our programs. So, and, and I should say also, we don't talk about it that much on the air, but we actually have this thing, which I don't think falls. I don't. I don't think the umbrella of this thing extends to today's episode. But we do have a thing, an idea, a trope, whatever here, uh, behind-the-scenes thing at the Colin McEnroe Show, which is called the Department of Bad Ideas. We're trying to develop, like, a sticker for it or something, you know, like something we can just sort of put on, on the website. Uh, and it's when we do a show about something that really doesn't warrant doing a show, um, or we do a show about something in a way that effectively creates difficulties and obstacles for us, In doing the show. And sometimes sometimes (coughs) excuse me, sometimes we do both. But I don't think doing a whole show about tambourines is a bad enough idea to qualify for a Department of Bad Ideas sticker. I think this is something else that we like to do, which is to take something that you take for granted, something that's kind of faded into the background of your perceptions. And then kind of blow it up big, you know, and make you look at it a little bit more closely. And and I would say a tambourine in particular falls into that category, perhaps more than any musical instrument. It's the one that you're used to not paying attention to most of the time. It's often held by, God rest their souls, Tracy Partridge, Linda McCartney, Davy Jones. You know, other people are playing instruments that are theoretically, putatively doing more interesting things. But the more time you spend with tambourines... And tambourine aficionados, the more you realize that there's a lot more going on uh, than you might have suspected. And so, I will stop babbling and introduce our first two guests. I should say, at the end of the show, we have we will be talking to a person who has attained, I think, arguably, celebrity status as a tambourine player. His name is Tim Kubart. He's known as the Tambourine Guy. He's kind of a YouTube sensation. Uh, you'll meet him then. You'll you'll see what we mean, but uh, right now we're going to talk to uh, Aaron Eisner, a percussionist and professor of percussion at Webster University in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, and Ira Elliott, a percussionist best known as the drummer for the band Nada Surf, uh, and we should say they know each other. They've they've even been in a band together with a, another guy who was on the show we did about the monkeys, which kind of bridged. I mean, I just mentioned Davy Jones. There's a bridge, I think, from that monkey show to where we are now. Both of them are produced by Jennifer LaRue. So you see there's something happening here. So, um, but but what is it exactly? So, uh, Aaron Eisner, I'm going to ask you to get us started. I don't know. I mean, if you had to define tambourine, if you had to explain the word tambourine and the object tambourine to a person emerging from a hut in Antarctica, completely unaware uh, of what such a thing was, how would you do
0: that? Well, thank you for asking, Colin. It's actually uh, Elsner. Oh, I'm
2: so (laughs) sorry. I've already made my first mistake of the show.
0: (laughs) I thought, well, you know what? I'll I'll just go ahead and correct it right off the bat. Well Um, done, well done. (laughs) And the tambourine is most uh, definitely in the foreground in our lives. And, uh, you know, the tambourine appeared in historical treatises as early as 1700 B.C., and it was used by ancient musicians in West Africa, the Middle East, Mesopotamia, Greece, Rome, China, India, passed on to Europe by musicians or merchants. And the instrument's name comes from the French word tambourin or tambour, which means drum in French. And the tambourine is a member of, as we know, the percussion family of instruments. Um, there's many types of tambourines with long histories from many countries around the world. They're still used in pop and rock, gospel, samba music in Brazil, where it's called the pambero. Persian and Turkish music, folk music from the Balkans, classical music, Asian, Peruvian music. Almost every country in the world has its own version of a tambourine. We would probably need days to discuss all of them in detail.
2: Right. Although we will discuss and, and give you samplings of some of them. But basically, at some point, maybe even before 1700 BC, we'll never know, could yeah. be some Neolithic person who thought, you know, I've got this skin and I made a kind of a frame and I stretched it across and now I've got a drum. What if I attached a bunch of bells to it? You know, I mean, that's basically what's going on initially. Right. Some people, various people, probably 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 wasn't just one tambourine inventor. Uh, a lot of people thought, you know what, we got a drum, but we could also kind of make a jingle, too.
0: Exactly. I mean, there are many types of ancient tambourines depicted in artwork played by angels in medieval paintings. Troubadours and carvings played by women on ancient Greek pottery. Um, What we think of today as the modern day tambourine in the West was initially used in Turkish Janissary bands, music of the Ottoman Empire, eventually played in European courts. So there's certainly examples of uh, earlier uh, tambourines invented by people and using them for a variety of reasons from celebratory, festive occasions, religious calls for war, leading soldiers into battle, um, yeah, military bands around the world, worship and world religions, <laughs> folk instruments. Um, so yes, absolutely.
2: So let's go over to Ira for a second. Well, we'll circle back to some of this. I mean, tambourines are in the Bible a lot, although they're, they're timbrels, which is slightly different. Although I, I will say that subsequent translators of the Bible simply just substituted tambourine for timbrel on a lot of occasions. But so Ira Elliott, What is a tambourine doing that is not available to the drummer with his or her drum kit? In other words, you need beats. Uh, Drum kits have lots of things that can make noises. So why why does anybody play the tambourine under those circumstances?
3: Yeah, good question. Well, you know, uh, yeah, it's a wide sound. A drum set itself has a pretty wide sound palette. Uh, You know, the basics are like like, kick, snare, hi hat. That's kind of the, the the basic three elements of like pretty much every rock pop song you know um but the tambourine adds another quality there's something i think it's that jingly sound the sound of those little the well people call them jingles or i don't know i think they're actually called zills if i'm not mistaken from the from the turkish uh, zil zilgen uh, zills so the the that's the jingling of the zills gives a sort of a wide screen you know, stereo is usually short and military and kraken and the, the the tambourine has a sort of a wide screen kind of you know, it's more complicated, more complex. So it's a good thing to layer into a drum beat to either, you know, you bring you if you want to sort of get the chorus to be a little bigger, you'll add a tambourine on the on the snare drum on two and four to get it to go a little bit more to sort of pop a little more. Or if you know you've got the song going on, it's kind of in a straight line and you want to sort of amp up the excitement a little bit, you might add tambourine to the last verse to sort of oh something new is happening rhythmically because it sits in a sort of a high place in a mix it's uh it sits high in the range so it it really pokes through
2: so so, it's well, very effective. Yeah, very so effective. in in the world of rock and pop um arguably Although you might want to not want to start an argument with you because he could very easily shoot you. But uh, arguably the person who does a lot with tambourines is Phil Spector. Uh, and I, there's actually an outtake from the uh, recording session of River Deep Mountain High, the Tina Turner version of that, where you can hear Spector yell to somebody. We think it's uh, percussionist Jack Nitschke. Jack, you don't have a more... Substantial tambourine out there, do you? So yeah. <laughs> Phil's concerned actually with, with the timbre of tambourines. Right. Uh, and, but let's hear a little bit of what uh, probably the most famous uh, tambourine lick in the Spectre catalog, and maybe in the history of rock and roll cat, this is A1. That's obviously Be My Baby. So I'm going to stay with you for a moment here, Ira. Yeah. There's a way in which, I mean, you know, Spectre's famous for the wall of sound. There's like so much percussion going on there. So, so much
3: going on. But you hear what the tambourine is doing beautifully is is driving the six, 16th note feel, which is this tick that tick this very insistent feel. Because the song is very widescreen. It's like boom, 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 bam, which is kind of slow motion. And you have this other element, this, it's softer and out of the way, but really strongly delineates that sort of gives the song an underlying pulse that it wouldn't have without that, and it's soft but very insistent. It's a fantastic piece of recording.
2: And, you know, obviously Aaron, uh, it's also there in the kind of classical canon. I mean, it's not everywhere, but there's You know, Mozart used tambourine in one or two pieces. Uh, You've got Bizet uh, using them, uh, uh, I think, in in one of his suites. And I think from there it kind of gets into Carmen. Uh, But uh, we're going to play something right here. Uh, This is the Carnival Overture by Vorjak. Uh, You'll hear right at the beginning. There's actually—and I I sort of watched a a percussionist kind of walk an audience through uh, what the tambourine player has to do or what the percussionist playing tambourine has to do here. Let's uh, hear a little bit of this, and then we'll have uh, Aaron talk a bit about it. A4. So you can hear a little bit of it there. And, and Aaron, one thing I discovered is that there are a lot of ways to play a tambourine. There are a lot of things that you can do on a tambourine, whether you're kind of drumming it with your fingers on the skin. Uh, some classical percussionists do a thing where they kind of take it down to their knee uh, and, and, and play it on there. Uh, and it seems as though Vorjak wants you to do a, a lot of those things with the tambourine uh, in that movement.
0: That's exactly right. Uh, Mozart was among the first classical composers to include tambourine into orchestral pieces. And that excerpt you just played, Carnival Overture, is one that is on many um, orchestral percussion auditions. It's an excerpt from that to test uh, one's mirth on the concert tambourine. And you're exactly right. On a concert tambourine, you can play the drum head, you can play the jingles themselves with your fingers, you can do what's called a shake roll. You can do a thumb roll where you run your thumb along the perimeter of the tambourine head to create friction. Uh, Sometimes players will rub rosin or beeswax along the surface to make it easier to produce a consistent sound. You can play it with your fingers, your knuckles, your palm, and your right, even your knee. And there's a passage in that uh, musical uh, Carnival Overture um, where you do play with your knee, uh, with your, your foot on a chair, and you flip the tambourine over and play the underside of the head with your knuckles (laughs) Um, so many many different ways to play even a tambourine in a classical context
2: and ira i mean obviously the kind of the 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 drum head part of a a tambourine works a lot like a drum head in the sense that a percussionist can even create different tones on it right by putting your hand over it
3: sure sure yeah well that's the thing as a drum well that's the 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 thing is as a self-taught drummer it's not obvious because uh, you know when you learn to play a drum drum like i'm self-taught so it's a wooden stick on a head and that's one m- method of getting a sound out of a head but when you suddenly have to put your hand on a head and get a sound out of it that way suddenly you've come across a whole new set of problems because it's not obvious how to do it. you can just whack it but when you watch these great percussionists you see how they're able to move their hands in sort of circular motions to get a range of sounds out of it. it's not obvious to do it's very it's quite difficult actually
2: one area, I mean, this is a lot, this could be said about a lot of things, but one area where, I mean, first of all, that's. The the Vorjak thing we just heard. If you sort of isolate it a little bit more, it's it's really complicated what the percussion is is doing there. Another area where there's almost kind of a virtuosic quality to to tamb- tam- tambourine playing is in the world of gospel, uh, black gospel in particular. Uh, let's hear. This is going to be uh, a five, uh, and this is the City of Refuge Gospel Choir from L.A. Yeah. And so, Aaron, there we're hearing, I think, the, its roots as a folk instrument uh, brought into the church.
0: Yeah, the tambourine's the primary percussion instrument in gospel music. Uh, it was initially used in Pentecostal revival congregations, and then it was expanded to gospel choirs. And it's uh, kind of sad. Um, African-American slaves were not allowed to have drums for fear of, God forbid, using them to communicate. So when they were singing, they turned to smaller objects and tambourines to help keep the beat. It was lightweight, portable, it lent itself well to gospel songs that had those driving repetitive passages, those chants and grooves. And um, subsequently, many Motown singers grew up with gospel music. So it makes sense that the tambourine was a central part of many Motown tunes. And some Motown groups would perform with multiple tambourines and tons of choreography. (laughs) Um, and then it was used uh, in minstrel shows vaudeville there's a great recording uh, called tambourines to glory by the second canaan baptist church of harlem and it's a great collection of gospel songs with lyrics by langston hughes that he wrote for the play his play of the same name uh, that their gospel choir director uh, Job huntley set to music and it is chock full each track of gospel tambourine playing
2: yeah, you know, and Ira, you were talking before about kind of the tonal quality, the high tonal quality, and that's so yeah. Motown, right? Barry Gordy, he liked uh, he liked that really loose snare that they supposedly kept in a vault or something <laughs> yeah, and yeah, took yeah. out, and, and a tambourine is a little bit of that quality, too.
3: Yeah, well, yeah, tonal range, you know, like a kick, uh, the drums, you know, the bass drum is low, the, kick, the snare drum kind of sits in the middle of the range, like with guitars and vocal, they all sit sonically in a sort of a mid range and tambourine is one of those things like cymbals and stuff that sits high in the range and sort of can poke through a recording very, very effectively. So that's one of the reasons it's so so widely used.
0: Yeah. So we should
2: go go ahead, go ahead, Aaron.
3: I
0: was going to say, before we got on the air, um, Ira and I were talking about the jingles on tambourines and how many types of metal they can be made of nickel, bronze, silver, copper combinations, smaller, larger, single, double rows, and all of those affecting the sound.
2: Yeah, well, we can make this point now, uh, and, and I think it'll come up again in the second segment, too. But uh, there are kind of—correct me if I'm wrong about this, Aaron—but there's sort of fundamentally two kinds of tambourines. I mean, within that, I'm sure there's 80 jillion subtypes. But uh, there's what I think is sometimes called a rock and roll tambourine, it looks like, about— a little bit more than half of a tambourine rim, and then there's a kind of a handle that comes up. There's no drum head across it. And then the more concert-type tambourine, but also obviously a folk-type tambourine, actually has uh, a full circle and the skin across it. How, how good a job or bad a job did I do there?
0: That's excellent, and, and we are aware that you have a rock tambourine.
2: Yes, I, I, have, bo- I have both kinds now.
0: Oh, you do? Okay, great, great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a concert tambourine, well, initially a frame drum is is a single-headed drum, and initially frame drums without jingles were called tambourines historically. But then the tambourines got added, and yes, plainly speaking, those with a head are called concert tambourines, and those without are a rock tambourine, mostly because they're just shaken, they're played uh, as, as a rhythmic instrument and in a popper uh rock setting or played as a backbeat to a song
3: and i um, and i can say from experience that being as a young drummer when i first had to go in the studio and play a tambourine on a track so if you don't know what you're doing the ones with the heads on them can be a little bit difficult because it, it you may get tones on it that you don't have control over <laughs> if you don't know how to get a sound out of a head of tambourine and you just want to shake it you might get other tones which i think is the reason that a lot of people ended up just sort of cutting the head off those tambourines and just have you know you see them with a the, You'll see that the tax are there where the head used to be, but they just people just couldn't deal with. They didn't know how to do the head, so they just sliced it right out.
2: Right. I can say that I I borrowed the rock and roll tambourine from my friend Steve Metcalf yesterday and was messing around with it. And then I picked up the concert tambourine uh, 15 minutes before airtime that was waiting at the front desk. And I'm I'm completely baffled by it. Uh, I have no idea what what to do with it. I I totally get what you're saying. Hey, before we go to the break here, we should talk about one other group. And maybe we'll have time also. We have uh, clips uh, uh, of, you know, more sort of folk and ethnomusicological uses of the of the tambourine but one group of people who are kind of associated with it or maybe a little bit more with the so-called timbrel uh which is a little bit different uh is the salvation army uh, and they have their own timbrel squad i don't know Aaron, if there's anything you want to say about that
0: yeah yeah you were right earlier when you said it was sometimes referred to biblically as as the timbrel it was played by women at dances king david when he danced before the ark of the covenant um, it was the principal instrument of the Israelites, and the Salvation Army were the first people responsible for bringing the timbrel into church, and they used it in worship, and they formed these timbrel brigades of young people to do missionary work. So they incorporated the instrument and in performance along with full choreography, and these still exist around the world today, these tambourine corps uh, groups, the tambourine corps, and they decorate the instruments with colorful ribbons, and they do these elaborate, synchronized performances. It's pretty wild.
2: All right. We're going to hear a little bit of that. Uh, Kat, this is A6. Uh, Here's uh, the Salvation Army Timbrel Squad. Maybe a little bit more exciting than you know what you're used to from Guys and Dolls or something. I just threw a dollar in a kettle just—I got so excited uh, by what they're doing. I wish all Army, I
3: wish all armies had music like that. It'd be so armies would be so much nicer. Absolutely,
2: <laughs> cause way less trouble. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So we've got with us Aaron Elsner, a percussionist and professor of percussion at Webster University in St. Louis. Uh, Ira Elliott is a percussionist best known as the drummer for the band Not a Surf. We'll take a little break. We'll come back. I think we need to talk about what happens when the singers pick up their tambourines. That of course is the Rolling Stones touring at an assisted living facility near you. Uh, <laughs> they have gone from hip hip to hip replacement. Uh, all right. So uh, with this, I said I said before, uh, uh, our Aaron Elsner and our Elliot, we're talking about the tambourine. So, Ira, I want to bring up a sensitive subject. Uh, oh boy. Speaking as somebody who occasionally has, in a very ill-advised manner, sung with bands. Uh, often with jazz bands, you learn pretty quickly that the band isn't really looking forward to the vocalist, even the really skilled vocalist at times. (laughs) Uh, uh, To say nothing of someone like me, because they're just kind of operating in a different place. You guys are so keenly aware uh, of beats and harmonics and stuff like that. And the vocalists, God knows what they're going to do at any given moment. Uh, And I would imagine some of that extends uh, to, to, in fact, the instrument that we're talking about now, which is often seen in the hands, at least in concert situations, in, right. uh, seen in the hands of a vocalist. I should say that your, your friend, uh, the friend of both of you and former uh, bandmate Mark Razo, who was on our Monkeys show, uh, yeah. said, uh, said to us, another observation about the tambourine. It's harder to play than people realize. Spending time in recording studios, you quickly realize that the only person who should ever be handed a tambourine for an overdub is the drummer. But yeah. Ira, Ira, that's not the way it works usually.
3: Well, no, I mean, yeah, again, you have to find these things out the hard way. You know, the, <laughs> when you think you're just like, you know, you've got this thing in your hand, and, you know, I guess singers are maybe self conscious because they have nothing to do with their hands. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot of times like, what do I, I can't put them in my pockets. I, you know, I'm not comfortable gesticulating wildly. Like, what do I do with my hands? And one good thing is to sort of grab a maracas or a tambourine, the sort of quintessential 60s lead singer had a tambourine in one hand or like Davy Jones or maracas you know a handful of you know three or four maracas going at it and um but when you've not, never done it before you realize that you know it's so easy to do it wrong if you don't place it exactly in the right spot it just sounds like noise if you don't hit it right in the right right in the right thing it it, it can be uh yeah it can be messy and distracting so but but it is a thing to do
2: right So all the most famous pop tambourine players are, in fact, uh, to the best of my knowledge, passed away. Uh, Here is one of them. We're not saying that she's messy. Uh, We would never say that about Tracy Partridge, whose real name, I believe, was Suzanne Crow. This is, of course, the Partridge family. I think I love you.
3: I
0: wake up from something that keeps knocking at my brain Before I go insane I hold my pillow to my head And spring up in my bed Screaming out the words I dread I think I love you I think I love
2: you All right, all over our broadcast area people are now having various kinds of flashbacks um, <laughs> Deal with them on your own Although, we, Ira, to, to our point, we don't really know that's her playing. We know that when they did it live, that's and her I playing. Think
3: I think it's more likely that that was a bunch of session guys that they hired. You know, it could be, you know, that could be, uh, uh, yeah, that could be any, those Jack Nietzsche, it could be any of those guys. It most likely is, probably.
2: So, I mean, Aaron, maybe the flip side of this, the flip side of the the front person of a band playing the tambourine is there's something kind of engaged. We're, we're going to, when we meet Tim in the final segment, I think we'll get a kind of a sense of this, but there's a way in which, you know, m- maybe more than with a lot of instruments, I mean, a keyboardist, it's almost impossible for them to engage the audience unless they're named Jerry Lee Lewis. Uh, but, you know, I mean, there's a way in which there's something kind of engaging about the tambourine. Yeah,
0: it's true. I mean, if you are someone in a band on stage playing tambourine i did watch some videos of him so he is quite the spectacle (laughs) um i think you can serve the the role or the purpose of revving up the crowd um you're not having to worry so much about playing all the right notes in the tune um you can just kind of groove along with the rest of the group and and provide kind of the energy and the and the momentum of what's going on on stage
2: But there's also, I think, even among musicians, a little bit of – I mean, I think we are having a more nuanced uh, and forgiving conversation about the tambourine than might have occurred under certain circumstances. And so we are told – Uh, that in some of the early days of the Beatles recording sessions, George Martin was not, although I I sort of am one of the people who actually thinks Ringo Starr is kind of an underrated drummer. uh, But in the early stages, George Martin was perhaps not persuaded to that effect. Uh, And so uh, the only thing he would let Ringo do on Love Me Do is play, uh, in fact, the tambourine and then maracas uh, on PSI I love you so uh B2 cat let's just hear a little bit of that yeah. I'm guessing Ringo's not too happy about being relegated in that manner.
3: Yeah, no, I, I've often referred to this as the, uh, the saddest tambourine in the world. Uh, uh, you know, he, he, uh, he, they had done, this was like maybe their second session with Ringo. They had recorded a few weeks before this. They had done an early version of Love Me Do with Ringo playing drums, which is, turned out to be the one that they used on the, on the single. But that version they used, played, is the one that ended up on the album. It's the one that most people know. And you can hear how prominent, as a matter of fact, the tambourine is arguably louder than the kit, and I. He, so was in the, he came into the studio, and they had hired Alan White a session guy, and so Ringo sat dejectedly in the in the control room while they were cutting tracks. And someone finally said, "Hey, Ringo," I think Ron Richards, maybe their their engineer at the time. I don't think George Martin was there. Hey, Ringo, just go, you know, shake some stuff. So he went down there and he played tambourine. You can hear what he did. Like at that point, the drums were recorded with literally with one microphone over the top of the kit and you can hear what he did was he got himself probably standing shoulder to shoulder with that drummer and he put that tambourine like above the kit so that you heard that more than the drum set so Ringo got his uh, sonic revenge by getting right up on that mic
2: I mean I feel I'm gonna do a whole show about Ringo Starr someday because
3: invite me back hey. because no one knows more about him than I do.
2: yeah I can tell I can tell <laughs> but you know there's I, I when he was being mean which was I think unfortunately frequently. Never, you
3: know he never let George Martin off the hook on that that, that right. day he didn't let him play the drums for the rest of their lives together Ringo always took the chance to sort of <laughs> needle him about it yeah. never let it go
2: John Lennon used to occasionally be mean and say that Ringo wasn't even the best drummer in the Beatles well he that. did not
3: say that that's I have to just oh really that's,
2: to, that's that's a, a, a that's, baca- that's a
3: misquote <laughs> that's a misquote he was actually a, a stand-up comedian from the 80s who said that oh, okay. Not, not John Lennon so I'm sorry
2: I'm, reassur- I'm actually reassured I'm and happy a funny, it's a funny line because you know, yeah.
3: Paul McCartney himself was a right, very really good drummer. drummer.
1: Yeah, excellent
3: drummer. Uh, and there's photographs. You can find photographs of all the various Beatles sitting at Ringo's kit over the years. Over <laughs> right, because everybody thinks they can do this. Oh yeah, everyone wants to have a go at it. How hard could it be?
2: So, Aaron, I know you've performed with a bunch of you know pretty terrific people. Do you? Does that involve tambourine, or are you doing other kinds of percussion?
0: it does involve tambourine um i was just talking with ira about this before the show started so i get to play with a lot of acts that come through st louis um especially broadway shows that are on tour or famous rock bands that are on tour when they want to come and pick up local players and so one of the uh, in the in the last five years um i played with the uh, motown tour and they travel with about 18 numbered tambourines <laughs> with different jingles, different sounds, some with heads, some without. And they were very serious about it and said, you know, look, we've got it numbered in the music and don't pick up the wrong one or, you know, you're axed. So there was a lot of tambourine playing in that. Um, I got to play with The Who a couple of years ago. And wow. I got with some tambourine playing with Did that. You, do you
2: like smash your tambourine at the end of the show? <laughs> the Who?
0: Burn it and smash it. <laughs> no. Um, and I got to play with Weird Owl uh, last year. Nice. And there was a lot of tambourine on that gig.
2: Huh. I don't even I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not thinking clearly about Weird Owl. I don't associate of course then you associate him with the accordion, but obviously the, the orchestrations are elaborate. I don't just wasn't really thinking about tambourines.
0: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He still had uh, his regular drummer on that tour. So I was hired as the percussionist to uh accompany the drummer
2: bermuda schwartz bermuda
0: schwartz exactly (laughs) that's exactly right
2: and so i mean i sense then that you aaron are comfortable enough with the repertoire so that i mean it didn't sound, sound like even that motown thing which i would find completely terrifying and would make a mistake immediately uh it didn't sound like you were particularly intimidated by that
0: no, that's the kind of stuff I love doing. And so it, what you know, bring me Motown this fall. I'm going to play Ain't Too Proud to Beg at the Fox. It's music of the Temptations. Yeah. So I'm sure there'll be a ton of tambourine on that as well. And that's just, you know, kind of the the essence of what we do. It's just groove based stuff. So I get to just have fun and play all this, you know, groove, all these groove parts along with the show.
2: And and Ira, do you typically have a tambourine at the ready when you're playing drums or, or does there have to be a particular reason why you would uh, have it?
3: You no, know, what I usually do is cuz I'm playing the drums mostly with uh, with sticks and I don't really have too much time to sort of just uh, you know pick up something with my hands. I uh, I often will keep uh, just a, a tambourine attached somewhere on the kit, somewhere around the hi-hat, let's say, that I can play, you know, use it on choruses or something like that. So I I, I it's not unusual for me to have Either one sort of attack, like, like on top of the uh, on top of the hiat. Like, you know, John Bonham and Zeppelin used to do that thing, a little sort of a jing ring, ching ring, they call it, on top of the hiat. So when you step on it, it makes a little ching sound. Or to have one attached that I can play it with a stick.
2: So I can tell, tell from, I'm looking over at our Slack channel, and two producers, Lily Tyson and Jennifer LaRue, are very eager for me to get a tambourine lesson so they can listen to me <laughs> crash and burn. So Hey! Um, hey. hey. So first of all, I've got two tambourines on hand. Uh, do you guys care which one? Or I mean, if we're gonna do, if we're gonna beat on it, then we want the concert one, I guess.
0: Yeah, let's 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 do both. I'll okay. do I'll do the concert tambourine lesson. Ira can do the uh, rock tambourine. lesson. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so the concert tambourine. So you want to hold it with your thumb on top of the head and then you're gripping the shell.
2: Right. And I, I I my natural inclination, I'm left-handed. My natural natural inclination is to hold it with my dominant hand and hit it with my my right hand. And is that what I, you would typically do? Or, I mean you're you are probably right. You do hand. either.
0: Okay. You could you can do either and you should ostensibly be able to do either. Okay. So you're going to hold it at an angle as if you're looking at yourself in a handheld mirror okay. so that the jingles don't move while you're playing.
2: Ah, that's how you do that. Because I've noticed, yeah. <laughs> just entertaining myself, I've noticed there's a lot of sort of unwanted jingling.
0: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Now, so if you want to play softly, you're going to put your thumb, your index finger, and your middle finger together, almost like a, like you're tapping with that group of those three digits Mm -hmm. and tap near the edge of the tambourine Hmm? exactly oh excellent first Uh, lesson okay all
2: done thanks thanks for being here no i'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) now
0: use your knuckles like you're rapping on a door and hit the center loudly for loud playing
2: i want to rap on your door
0: yeah tap on
2: your window pane hey you're hired yeah he's in
0: I promised Jennifer I wouldn't steer you down the path yeah. of becoming a percussionist. She didn't want me to to, to take you that direction. We
3: need an all tambourine orchestra, I think.
0: Yeah. Well, it's a tambrel. It's a tambrel brigade.
3: Right there, you go. There. You
0: go. <laughs> all right. So then you're going to shake it. Uh, yes. Ooh, that was good. <laughs> it was very good. And now you're going to put it uh, uh, back to the original position yeah. and try to run your thumb along the perimeter of the head of the surface of the head put some pressure but not too much pressure Just to see if you with, can make a sound oh
2: i'm not i'm not having much success
0: that's a, that's harder yeah that's that's right. a, that's that's, that's, that's a
2: 303 i'm not yeah. ready for that yeah i've you tried that for years in, i you can't can, do en- it.
0: you can enroll in my uh, percussion techniques for non-majors course <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right. Before we run out of time, uh, Ira, you should probably uh, yeah, jump in. I'll, dra- I'll grab the rock, rock and roll tambourine.
0: Tim- the rock and
3: roll tambourine. You would ju- I would just hold it like straight up, like up and down, and like, okay. just, like you know, sixteenth notes side to side. One and two and three and four. Mm. You hit, you know, you hit your, hit your right, hit your hi- right hand on the on the main notes. One and two and three and four. How easy that is! Anyone can do it. I'm telling you, it's easy. <laughs> Don't listen to that. Don't listen to that stuff. Any anyone
2: can Yeah. Do it. So typically, you would be playing it like you would be. If you're playing tambourine, you're actually you're not like going on the two and the four. You're just like. I mean,
3: like anything. The thing with this is that you do it on. If you do sixteenth notes to get that feel, you you would just kind of do that back and forth thing. The, the more complicated stuff is to try to get the. The non-dominant beats if you're just right. doing the two and four yeah. the easy ones that where the where the tambourine is moving forward that's those are really basic ones what you to t- for polyrhythm you need to get the the beats that are on the opposite side of the tambourine when you go back right so if you hit the forward hand and then you move your hand around to the other side of the tambourine and hit it on the return you get you get yeah. two,
2: and the the jingles kind of want to do that anyway like right. they they want to they want jing- to jingle on the upbeat
3: um and when you get those the uh, I mean, that's the polyrhythm when you get those other beats the n one and two that the subtlety of it that's when the, it starts to become very very expressive.
2: All right. We have to stop there unfortunately just to leave some room for Tim, but we're so grateful to having uh, for having Aaron Elsner, percussionist and professor of percussion at Webster University in St. Louis, Missouri. Ira Elliott, percussionist, best known for the, as the drummer for the band Nada Surf. All right. Yeah. Let's take us out with something. I'll
3: touch black Sharks felt the blood that I'm bleeding I know
1: there's something wrong Might take a fire to kill it
2: We have an exciting final segment for you, but first I have to thank, I want to thank our technical producer, Kat Pastor, who makes all these things actually possible. Jennifer LaRue is the producer of this particular episode, assisted uh, by senior producer Lily Tyson and master of all producing wizardry, Jonathan McPants. Uh, So it takes a village. Uh, And yeah, if we were doing a show about cellos, we would want to get Yo-Yo Ma on, right? And if we were doing a show about trumpets, we'd want Arturo Sandoval or Wynton Marsalis. I'm not sure we could get any of those people. We're doing a show about tambourines right now. We have done the equivalent. Uh, And before I introduce them, I just want to say that just this moment, I realized there's something very redundant about, hey, Mr. Tambourine Man, right? Like, hey, Mr. Tambourine would be fun. Hey, Tambourine Man would be fine. Uh, Hey, Mr. Tambourine Man, it seems like way too much. Fortunately, Tim Kubart is not Hey, Mr. Tambourine Man. He's the tambourine guy. Uh, He is a worldwide phenomenon uh, in his joyous playing of the tambourine. Uh, He's many other things besides, as you will find out. He joins us now. Hi, Tim.
1: Hi there, Colin. Thanks so much for having me.
2: So uh, we should say that you are a multi-instrumentalist. You're a musician, songwriter. Um, You know the history of the tambourine a little bit is the person fronting or backing who doesn't really play another instrument capably. So Davy Jones from the Monkees, Linda McCartney with Wings or various other Paul McCartney things, uh, of course, Tracy Partridge. It's a little alarming that all these people are deceased, uh, but, uh, but you're fine. Uh, but the difference here is this isn't something that you do because you don't know how to do anything else. You actually play guitar and, and some other stuff as well, right?
1: That's true. Yes, I'm a uh, guitar player, singer, songwriter for kids and families, Uh, also a a bass player. I've played for uh, um, America's Got Talent, but there is one part of my career that is only playing the tambourine, and it might probably is the biggest part of my career.
2: Right. So, and I think it all begins when the group Postmodern Jukebox, who are famous for kind of repositioning songs often taking a pop song and turning it into like a 40s standard, uh, that kind of thing. They are addressing what they perceive to be a problem. It's 2011. Uh, Nickelback has been uh, selected to uh, to perform at uh, halftime during some major sports event in Detroit uh, people are up, up in arms about this so postmodern jukebox steps forward and and says problem solves we'll do a Motown tribute to Nickelback uh, let's hear a, a little bit of that featuring Andrew barron Roland on lead vocals the song is the Nickelback song how you remind me but forget about the vocals this is all about the tambourine kind of have to watch the video right because there's i mean you're playing the tambourine you know you're you're on the beat uh and and kind of doing a couple little double beats and stuff like that here and there but it's not so much that you're virtuosic i think it's that you're so joyous i i don't know how how would you describe why this turned into kind of a, a phenomenon
1: for sure, I would say, I would agree with you that I'm not virtuosic on the tambourine, but I have been able to uh, to travel the world doing it. Yeah, I, I would also agree that it's kind of, it's the joy. I uh, That sort of happened by accident. I, I like to say that I didn't find the tambourine, the tambourine found me. Uh, Scott Bradley, who is the creator of Postmodern Jukebox, We were working the same day job. We were working at a nursery school playing songs for kids and families. He had the idea of let's take a Nickelback song, let's play it like a Motown song because everything going on in the news. And originally I was only supposed to lend Scott my tambourine uh, and he was going to find another percussionist to play the tambourine. But when that didn't work out, he said, why don't you just come over and play it? Uh, So I put on a little vest. I came over. I played the tambourine. And, uh, and the next day that video had about 300,000 views and growing and was getting a lot of press. And in the comments, everybody was saying, look at Tambourine Guy. I didn't even know I was being that silly. I was just having the best time uh, playing Tambourine along to Nickelback with my bros. And, uh, and all of a sudden I became Tambourine Guy, I got to tour uh, playing Nickelback songs in the Tambourine, which grew into Postmodern Jukebox, which has taken me around the world just playing. The
2: tambourines. Oh, we got our own. We got our our very own captured sound uh, of Tim Kubart playing the tambourine. So, yeah, you kind of became the clothed equivalent of the naked woman in the Blurred Lines video, you know. um... (laughs)
1: For sure. For sure. I just sort of became a meme, a little kind of mascot of the group as the tambourine player.
2: But there is but now you've played a lot of tambourine. We should say also, you play a certain kind of tambourine, at least in that video you do, and I, I think I just because I'm now highly attuned uh to, to tambourine sounds, I think you're you're doing the same thing. This is one that doesn't have kind of a fake drum head, right?
1: I don't know. It doesn't have sort of the skin on it. It's a crescent shaped tambourine that's it's it's hollow in the middle with just a bunch of jingles on the side.
2: And, and, and any particular reason I mean you're now you know I mean you're going to be doing tambourine commercials and, for the rest of your <laughs> life so uh, what's so great about that
1: one well I, I am endorsed by the company this is a, this is a pearl tambourine uh, the reason why it was this one is because it was the one I owned the first <laughs> video I was tambourine guy in so it's always just stayed the same I love playing it I love the handle on it um, and I think it makes a great sound it really cuts through the band uh, even we've played Radio City Music Hall. I've seen a video of someone who was in one of the last rows at Radio City Music Hall. I'm not even mic'd and you can hear sort of that ping of the tambourine just cutting through the whole band, making it all the way to the last row.
2: So, yeah, you played Radio City Music Hall, Red Rocks, uh, the Palladium in London. And I don't know, can you describe what you think is the reception you're getting? It's it's not wholly unironic, right? I mean, going nuts for the tambourine player has a little bit of a, an ironic quality to
1: it. It sure does. I mean, I find people who really gravitate towards tambourine guy are kind of tambourine guy themselves as well. And so am (laughs) I, I mean, I, I, I like to say that Tambourine Guy isn't so much a member of Postmodern Jukebox, but kind of Postmodern Jukebox's biggest fan who was lucky enough to be able to get on stage and play the tambourine, which is why I even look out into the audience during the show and find someone who either might be wearing a vest and is dressed as Tambourine Guy or, um, or someone who just seems super happy to be there. And during the last song, I hand them another tambourine and bring them out on stage and they get to be Tambourine Guy as well.
2: You're like Springsteen. I'm um, <laughs>
1: exactly like Springsteen. Yeah.
2: And we should say, you said the thing about the vest. I don't think we've made this point. The clothes that you happened to lay out that day of the original Nickelback uh, Motown fusion experiment, uh, have you kind of have to wear them all the time now, right?
1: I sort of i stumbled upon the tambourine i stumbled upon the clothes and the character and i just realized sort of everything worked in one video and i've been able to sustain being tambourine guy and a bunch of pmj videos being able to travel and it's always it's literally one note right
2: uh, of course, now you have a gigantic cocaine problem. You're in Chapter 11. I mean, you know, it's it's behind the music, the VH1 behind the music uh, thing. This is not going to be pretty, you know. Just, I
1: find a lot of touring and things now. It's so the opposite, like the culture has changed to green juice and yoga and make sure we're good for the show.
2: Right. No, I I, I, <laughs> I tot- totally believe that, actually. So um, you travel the world. There is... Something it could be sort of ethnomusicology, it could be something else. There's something about Eastern Europe that reacts especially fondly to the tambourine. Yeah,
1: for sure. I find different places in the world. There are just pockets of this is where tambourine guy is popular. And I do I try to figure it out myself as well. And I think it's a lot of places where um being able to just be joyful and silly might be a little bit not with the culture as much. Uh and Eastern Europe is sort of where it's sort of been the biggest. When I go there, uh, that, that's where I see the most amount. I jump out and I just see tambourines just going up in the air throughout the crowd. And normally the last song I bring kind of everyone who has a tambourine on stage. Um, yeah, there's, there's something going on with the joy and sort of, just sort of letting go of like what society expects of us to be. And just kind of being in the moment with the, um, with the joy and with the energy and and with kind of with music, really just sort of allowing yourself to dance freely, to play freely. And that's what I like to do in this. And I love that it connects with people in different parts of the world.
2: Yeah, no dangerous to do in like Bucharest. Everybody with a tambourine, come up on stage. (laughs) That's eleven thousand of us, the only musical (laughs) instrument we have in the whole country. Absolutely. So 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 yeah, I guess my final question would be, I mean, I don't know it it, i feel like it's not getting old right you i can hear in your voice i can hear a smile while you're talking about all this stuff you're not tired of being the tambourine
1: guy are you i'm not tired of being the tambourine guy my body might be a little bit tired of being the tambourine guy uh definitely but you know we just went two years without me being able to be tambourine guy last Uh, the last time I did it was November of 2019, and then I didn't do it again until about a month ago, and it's just been an absolute joy. I thought maybe everybody was done with Tambourine Guy. I thought maybe we would never do this again, but I'm finding I'm I'm out on the road. I'm actually in the UK right now about to do some more shows, and uh, there's still people who are ready for it, and there's still people who watch the videos, and uh, and enjoy the tambourine, as do I. I still really enjoy it. PMJ is some of the best musicians in the entire world, and I get to add my part to it.
2: Right, so as long as, you know, the tar- carpal tunnel syndrome doesn't kick in at some point.
1: A, a lot <laughs> it's, of back- a, it's also my legs, too. I, I play a lot on my legs, and you're right. Actually, hitting my hand with it, I try to hit, uh the right spot if not i can really hit a nerve
2: Ooh. well you didn't hit a nerve with us uh you did nothing but spread joy which of course is your specialty so uh, tim kubar uh, otherwise known as the tambourine guy you're the perfect guy to end the show with about the tambourine so thanks for being with us
0: thank you